Well, good morning. I'm Pastor Allen. Glad you're joining us either here in person or online. We're in a series called <laughs> Ever Wonder Why? And we've been ta actually ta trying to tackle some tough why questions. And today's one, another one. <laughs> why can't I stop? Assuming stuff that you desire to stop. By stopping, your life would be better or would improve. Uh, I got a question at the top of the outline. You don't need to raise your hand, all right? How many of you have a bad habit you can't stop? I think that probably hits us all, right? So we all got things that we would like to improve in our lives that we haven't been able to do or haven't made as much progress as we want to. There's a flip side of this too. Why haven't I been able to start or consistently do something on the, on the positive side? <clears throat> So, like, you can bring that question up. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> now, we have these things in our lives, and we have different strategies for attacking them. We have good intentions, right? And we think these will improve our, our lives. <clears throat> so we try different things. Um, most of us are Jesus followers, so we probably pray about these things. We may even promise God, God, if you just kind of take this <laughs> away from me, I'll promise to do this, or I promise to do that. And, of course, it gets frustrating, um, especially if you live as long, old as I am and it still has some bad habits. <clears throat> so, whether it's, you know, um, changing your diet and exercise, whether it's something spiritual, uh, something uh, uh, like uh, temper. I used to raise my temper a lot. And I would call it, uh, raise my voice, my wife would call it yelling. You can have that debate at your house. But um, uh, we're talking about what you might call a theology of change. Now, I'm only going to touch on it today. It's a pretty big topic. Hopefully, this will be helpful uh, to you. But when we can't consistently stop or can't consistently start something, I don't know about you, but I get frustrated. I get angry sometimes at myself. I get down on myself. I might even get depressed. So, what are some reasons why we can't change? Well, there's some kind of things that are simple to identify, like practical things. If, for example, you don't want to eat ice cream every night before you go to bed, and you have your freezer full of ice cream, that's a practical thing, right? That's pretty easy to change. If you want to stop smoking, you've got cigarettes in your house, you don't have cigarettes in your house. You make it more difficult to do those things that you don't want to do. Then there's emotional things. <clears throat> Uh, we all have, I call baggage in our lives. We all have hurts, and we sometimes choose to deal with them in an unhealthy way. And so that's an emotional problem. <clears throat> Thank you. There are relationship issues. Now, it's hard to have healthy relationships when you are with other people that are unhealthy, or if you're unhealthy. And so that affects our ability to change. Then there's physical things. Uh, there might be some kind of hormone issue or something in your body that's your headaches, whatever it might be that is preventing you from changing. But I want to suggest to you today that all of these are rooted in what I'm going to call a spiritual issue. We have spiritual needs that we try and meet by other means. Uh, whether it's food or relationships or whatever it might be. We try and meet those needs outside of God, who is the one that can supply, he claims, all our needs. So again, why 
Can't we change? Well, I'll put on your outline. It's difficult if we're going to focus on what I'm going to call the prison of religion. If we're going to focus on the rules, the do's, the don'ts, what I can do and what I can't do. And we forget the power of grace. So you might say, Pastor, I, I would think you're religious. Well, not by the definition I'm going to give you. I don't claim to be religious. I don't claim Christianity is a religion. I claim it's a relationship. Because religions all have one thing in common, and I'll put it on your outline. Our attempt to win God's approval by following the rules, all right? The do's and the don'ts. Religions, all religions of the world have do's and don'ts, and you're good at your religion if you do a lot of good do's and don'ts, and you're not so good at your religion if you don't. But if you consider yourself doing pretty good at the rules, then you consider yourself, hap God's happy with you, and God's going to make your life better, and eventually when you die, you'll go to whatever heaven you believe in, right? That's religion. That's not Christianity. So, when you attempt to fill those needs, approval, by following the rules, we're always going to be frustrated because we all are going to fail at some point or another. Anybody here kept the Ten Commandments? Has anybody here kept any of the Ten Commandments? All right, so we're not very good at this, right? So let's look at something that Titus, uh, Paul wrote. Uh, we call it Titus, little book in the New Testament. First, he's going to talk about Salvation by grace. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. So this being a Baptist church, we insist on the fact that salvation is by grace through faith in God alone. Period. Right? Um, it's a gift from God. No one can boast about it. You can't earn it. You can't do anything to get, you know, God to say, hey, yeah, I'll let you into my, my, into my heaven. We're all sinners. We fall short of God's great, uh, glory. So without God's grace or without his freely loving us and freely giving us the gift of salvation, none of us would be in heaven when we die, right? So what is grace? Lots of definitions. Here's the one we're going to use today. The unmerited, that means I don't deserve it, right? Unmerited goodwill. So God is good to me. Not because I deserve it, because of his grace or his desire to bestow his goodness on me. And the favor of God. So I'm not in the favor of God because I've kept this rule or kept that rule or not done this. I'm in favor with God, because, again, because of his grace. Now the problem comes, most of us would accept that. Most of us would believe that in this, in this group. Um, if not, hopefully you'll come to a place you'll accept that. <clears throat> the problem is now. You know, I'm in a relationship with God. I've gotten my sins forgiven. I'm going to spend eternity with him in heaven. But how do I live this thing we call Christ Christian life? Well, God's been good enough to give me salvation. So I'm, in my way of thanking him, I'm going to try and keep all these rules. Of course, I can't. So again, it's like spinning your wheels. It's frustrating. So it's really important, and this is where we're going to kind of settle in this morning. The grace that saves you is also the grace that sustains you. It's the grace that energizes you. It's the grace that empowers you to do what you should do and stop doing what you shouldn't do. That's completely different than me doing it. And we'll try and explain that. So he goes on in the next verse after he's saying God's grace of salvation to everyone. It, what is it? 
It's God's grace, all right? It teaches us. We have some teachers in our congregation. Um, I try and do teaching on Sunday morning. Uh, attempt to impart wisdom or knowledge to somebody, right? <clears throat> so grace teaches us what? How to say no. Isn't that part of our problem? <laughs> to say no, in this case, to ungodliness. Some of your bad habits are, are not godly. Some of them may just be bad habits. So grace teaches me how to say no to bad habits, no to ungodliness, no to worldly passions. And then on the positive side, what does grace do? It teaches us to live self-controlled. If I could control myself, that would help with the bad habits, right? It teaches me to live upright and godly lives in this present age. So it's not by me, my determination to follow the rules, not break the rules. Of course, I'm not very good at that anyway. I like this way to say it. It's not by grit, but by God's grace. It's not by my determination. It's by my willpower because it always eventually fails, right? Easy way to think about that. Any of you have ever been on a diet or exercise program? You're, you're still on the original one? Anybody? No. All right? <laughs> I'm not either. All right? I've, in fact, I just started a new exercise program like th this past week. I have a different focus. But anyway, point being, <clears throat> I can't accomplish what I want to accomplish on my own. So I need help. So on your outline, how does the grace of God change us? Well, we're going to look at religion first, how it doesn't work. Then we'll look at God's grace. So the focus of religion. What is the focus of religion? Focus of religion is always on the outside, all right? Appearance, the way of things I do and things I don't do. You know, I, I stopped, what is that old adage? Smoking and chewing and going with girls that do or something like that. All these things we stop. Sounds like a country western song. But anyway, um, stop these things outwardly that we're going to stop. Uh, you know, I'm going to stop swearing. I'm going to stop smoking. I'm going to stop drinking I'm, or getting drunk. I'm going to stop whatever. I'm going to stop yelling at my wife. I'm going to stop or my spouse yelling at the kids. Whatever it is. It's always on the outside. That's what the focus is. Um, so we're going to look at an example of Jesus pointing this out to probably the most religious people that you and I would ever know if we lived 2,000 years ago. They were called Pharisees and the religious leaders. And if you knew them, you would swear they're the most religious or godly people you would know. But Jesus knew something different. On the outside, they looked that way. But Jesus knew what was on the inside. So let's read what he said in Matthew <clears throat> Chapter 23. In fact, there's seven of these if you read the whole chapter. We'll just look at one. What sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees? So they were religious leaders. They were religious teachers. Right? They really looked good religiously. He called them hypocrites. <laughs> Not a very nice word, right? For you are so careful to clean the outside of the cup. He uses this analogy. And the, uh, of the dish. So he would say the outside of yourself, your body. But inside, you are filthy, full of greed and self-indulgence. You look good, but you are filthy. In the inside, you have terrible attitude and intentions. All right? Look good. 
That's what religion does. One more verse and then we'll move on. He called them blind. Not physically blind, of course, spiritually blind. You don't understand what's really important. He said, so first, wash the inside. Take care of your attitude. And we would say your heart, right? Inside the cup and the dish and then outside will become clean too. If you're washing dishes, uh, cups or dishes, if you're only going to clean one or the other, which one do you want to clean, folks? The inside, right? Because that's what you're going to put something in the next time, and you want it to be clean. So Jesus is saying, first, deal with the inside. So religion doesn't do that. Now, grace, on the other hand, is different. The power of grace is always on the inside. So we're going to look at something Paul wrote in Ephesians. I pray that from his, God's, glorious, unlimited resources, God's unlimited, right? That makes him God. He will, here's our word, empower. He'll empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Inner strength so I can do those things that I want to do on the outside. But without that inner strength or power, it's hard to do those outside or, or hard to do those outward things consistently. And then he says this. Now, all glory to God. Now see, if I do it, who gets the glory? If I fix myself, if I stop my bad habit or start a good habit, who, who gets the glory? I get it. Look at me. Look what I've done. That was the problem with the Pharisees. But he says, no, no, no. I want to change you from the inside, and when I do that, I, God, get the glory. Thank you, God. You changed this in my life. I couldn't do it, but you did. And of course, he is able. He's always able. Through his mighty power, it's unlimited, that works inside of us to accomplish even infinitely more than we might ask or think. On my own, I can't even accomplish what I want, right? I keep failing. But with God's inner grace, power of his grace, I can do stuff I couldn't even imagine I could do. Stopping bad stuff, starting good stuff. <clears throat> Glory to him, God, of course, in the church. Not just in ourselves, but in the church. And in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. That's a prayer, right? And amen. Thank you, God, for changing me from the inside. So let me ask you a simple question. What do you do to try and please God? Because some of us do these things, try and start these things or stop these things to please God. And I know, you know, the fact that, you know, I'm, I'm doing this isn't pleasing to you. So I'm going to stop it so I can please you or vice versa, right? So let me suggest to you something else. If you want to please God, you can just respond. This is on your outline. Just respond to his love. By his gift of grace. By choosing what's best for what he calls the temple of the Holy Spirit. What is the temple of the Holy Spirit? We all have a temple. Our body and our minds, right? That's a temple of the Holy Spirit. So if you want to please God, just respond to his love by choosing what's best for this vessel. That's another word. Now, we all try and do this. But when you try and do it on your own strength, you know what happens? It feels like a duty. It feels like an obligation. And what happens is, even if you do it, it's not really very rewarding, is it? 
And of course, eventually you, you mess up just like I do. So you need to see it as a response to God's love. So we could call it worship or a devotion to God. <clears throat> now, use a personal illustration. Most people here eat, have some kind of diet, all right? Most of you know that we're plant-based, that we don't eat anything that's not comes from plants, all right? Um, people ask me, how do you do that? <laughs> how do you not, you know, want to eat a steak or whatever it is? Well, actually, it's not very hard at all. I don't do it because I think I can do it. I do it out of devotion. I believe that's what way God wants me to eat. Now, some of you are high-protein, low-carb. I couldn't eat your diet, all right? I, I, I love carbs. Uh, I'm fine without the meat. But when I do that, I have a joy about doing it because of my devotion to God. And it seems to be working. My doctor says I'm the healthiest person in this knee trial that I'm in. And I'm not the youngest. So, when it comes out of devotion, it's, it's easier and there's a joy involved that you don't have when it's an obligation or I can do it grit rather than grace. <clears throat> so I put on your outline. Religion says try harder, right? All religions of the world have all these rules and everybody's at some degree on that scale of keeping the rules or not keeping the rules. And so if I got to keep the rules to please God, I just got to try harder to keep more of the rules, right? But grace is completely different. And this is why it's so awesome. Grace says, just trust me. Just, just, just trust me what I say is right. Trust me what I say is best for you. Trust me when I, what I say, God says, is going to make you the happiest or have the most joy. Because we change our behavior ourselves, eventually we do what? Almost all the time. We go back <laughs> to the way we were before. Use an illustration we talked about, I think, two weeks ago. Paul had this issue. He called it a thorn in the flesh. All right? And so just like some of our bad habits may feel like thorns in our flesh, we can't get rid of them, right? So we'll pick up the text in 2 Corinthians. He said this, Three times I begged the Lord to take it away, not morning, afternoon, and evening. Three extended periods of time, maybe weeks, he would pray for this for some weeks, that God would take it away. And he thought this was hindering his ability to do his missionary work. And God didn't take it away. And some time passed, and it was still really bothering him. So he prayed for, for a while again that God would take it away, and that didn't happen. Anyway, three times he did this. He got the same answer each time. He got an answer. <laughs> each time, the Lord said what to him? My grace is all you need. Okay? In this case, to deal with your thorn. That's all you need. He's, why? Because my power, God's power, works best in weakness. When I can do it, I don't need God's power. Right? So when I'm weak, when I say, God, I can't do this, I need your help. That's what works best. So now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. Uh, one more verse. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses, and the insults, hardships, persecutions, troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, when I can't do it, when I can't stop doing it, then I am strong. God, you need to stop this in and through me. 
So, on your outline, when you know that the same grace that saves you, and most of us have experienced, and if you haven't, we pray that you do, is the grace that sustains you, you can be honest. So I can say, yeah, I can't do this. I can't stop doing this. Or no, I can't be consistently doing this. I call this spiritual security. I have security that I can be honest. I can be honest with God first and foremost. <clears throat> On your outline, because you're only as strong as you're honest, right? If you don't admit to it, if you don't realize that, you know, I can't stop doing this or I can't start doing this, then you can't fix it. You may say it this way, sin grows in the dark. Now your bad habit may be sin or not. But sin grows in the dark. So you have to bring it into the light. Now, uh, what that means is you've got to tell somebody about it, right? And that's risky. Because especially if it's something that, especially church people would consider bad, uh, people may not like you. And so you really have to get to a place where you have an accountability partner, or at least a, a partner, maybe a group, that you can trust with your dirty laundry, if you will. All right? But it's important to get it out in the open, to be honest. Now, how do you know it's a problem? <laughs> if somebody tells you it's a problem. I think you've been drinking a little bit too much, or I think you've been, you know, you know looking at stuff you shouldn't be looking at, whatever it might be. When people start telling you that, then you, you and I need to start listening, right? Well, there's usually people that care about us, and they want what's best for us too. So on your outline, you can't correct, but you won't confront, right? If I don't admit it's a problem, and this goes back to... Uh, programs like AA. Right? Um, never been to AA, didn't have a need to go to AA. But first thing you do is they tell, say your name and I, I'm an alcoholic. Not I used to be an alcoholic. I was an alcoholic. Once an alcoholic, always be an alcoholic. Right? So, then they can confront it. And so when they're having a bad day, somebody else will help them. And when they're doing well and somebody else is having a bad day, they help them. So, on your outline, Asking for help is never a sign of weakness. It's a sign of wisdom. I shared this in the first service. Uh, it's our anniversary today, six, uh, 47 years. So uh, God's given me a, a wonderful bride. Yeah, yeah. But back uh, our 13th year of marriage, we just came back from the mission field, and our marriage was rough. It's not been the only time, but that was the worst, worst experience we had. So I'm a pastor. I'm a missionary. I'm thinking, I can fix this, right? I should be able to fix this. But I couldn't. And only when I admitted that I couldn't, and we went to marriage counseling, did the relationship improve. And we got some skills that we needed to have our relationship be better. So that was wise. It wasn't weakness. I mean, it was. Uh, the fact that I couldn't do it. But it was wise to admit that. So, the root of the problem. Trying to meet a need or relieve a hurt, often that's what it might be, with something besides God's grace. So whether it's drugs, alcohol, sex, whatever it might be, right? Trying to meet a need or relieve a hurt with something besides God's grace. I'll just try harder. Well, I've been trying harder and it doesn't seem to work, right? Romans chapter 5. Why was the law given to us? Why were the Ten Commandments given to us? Why were all those rules given to us? It's not what you think. God, it wasn't so I could keep them and make God happy. 
The law was given so that all people would see how sinful they were. For, for you and I to realize how much we can't do it, to realize how much we are failures, right? At doing what's right and not doing what's wrong. And we all, if we're honest, we're going to admit that, right? So that's the purpose of the law. So if I can't do it, <laughs> if I'm sinful, I need outside help, right? So, but as people sin more and more, the longer you live, the more you've sinned, right? God's wonderful grace became more abundant. So it doesn't matter how long you've been sinning, how long you've been failing, no matter how long you've been doing what you shouldn't do, or not doing what you should do, God's grace is bigger. So the more gr guilt we have, the more grace we have. The more shame we might have, the more grace we have. Came across this illustration. It said, the law is like a ladder, all right? And this ladder is like endless because there's endless lists of rules, right? And so we climb up a couple rungs and we break a rule and we fall back down. And we, maybe next time we climb up a little farther and we break the rule and we fall back down. And God's at the top of this ladder. Now sometimes, some areas of our lives, we just give up, right? I've fallen off that ladder there's enough times I'm not even going to try anymore, right? That's religion. Grace is, okay, <laughs> there's no ladder. <laughs> By God's grace, we're in his presence. No ladder. So I put on your outline, good news, really good news. Grace is always enough. There's no ladder. Grace is always enough. <clears throat> uh, one more, or two more verses, a couple verses, and we'll be finished. You think you're standing strong. Yeah, I got this. <laughs> I've, I, I, I've, I've beat this bad habit. Be careful. Because that's when you slip up. That's when you fall. So the temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. You always think, this, nobody else has to deal with what I have. No, that's not true. There's nothing new under the sun. Whatever you've been dealing with, millions of other people have dealt with. All right? You're not unique. And God is faithful, trustworthy, dependable. All right? We're not, but he is. He will not allow this temptation or this testing to be more than you can stand. So when you and I give in, it's not God's fault, it's our fault, right? When you're tempted, he will show you a way out so you can endure. In fact, it's better than you can endure. Uh, you can win. You can have victory. Not only can you have victory, you can have joy. So even when you keep those, stop at those bad habits outside of God's grace, there's not much joy in it. You're not doing it, but you still wish you were doing it, right? But when it's by God's grace, there's joy. It's not resentment or uh, wanting to do it more. That's the difference between I call it will weakness, but willpower, trying harder, and God's grace. So again, the grace that saves you is also the grace that sustains you, that empowers you, that energizes you. On your outline, God's grace doesn't just forgive. That's what we call salvation, right? It also frees you from sin. Some of you probably heard of these three Ps. The point of salvation, we are set free from the penalty of sin. The wages of sin is what? 
death. It means separation from God. That's the wages of sin. When I accept the free gift of God's salvation, I no longer am under the penalty of sin. Jesus carried my sins on the cross, right? So the penalty's gone. During my life here on earth, what happens? I'm free from the power of sin. There's not anything that God can't empower me either not do that I shouldn't do or do that I should do. And then eventually in eternity, we'll be free from the presence of sin, which will be awesome. Can't imagine what it's, how great that would be. So next step, choose one of your bad habits. Just choose one, all right? What do you need to be honest about so you can begin to heal? Maybe honest with yourself, maybe honest with other people. You know, <clears throat> um, yeah, I've got a bad temper. Whatever it might be. Now, I need to clarify this next. Are you willing to do the work? Not trying harder work. Trusting harder. Believing that, yes, God, with your help, we can have victory, success in this area. And just a sidelight, if not, you're choosing to stay stuck. And I pray that you're not. Let me pray with you. Yes, God, we thank you that you desire for us <laughs> to live upright, godly lives and not sin. And we're so weak, God, we just don't do a very good job of it. So, we thank you that it's not our strength, but yours. It's our weakness, our acknowledgement that we can't. And when you, with your help, we can, then you get the glory. And I thank you for the joy that comes from that. And God, I don't know the struggles these, these folks have. It's different for all of us. It's different, different periods of life. So God, I just pray that right now, wherever these folks are, that they'll be honest with themselves, with others, with you, God. Yes, I need your help. And God, we know you promised to supply the need. Will I change overnight? Probably not. It can. But most times not. It's a process. We thank you, God. That's a, a, a victorious process. It's a joyous process. We pray for anyone that's never stepped across that line, never accepted your free gift of salvation, is struggling on their own, dealing with their own weaknesses and their own uh, sin in your presence, God. We pray the day that they would understand that you love them so much, you let your son suffer and die so that they could receive this free gift of salvation by grace and be in an eternal relationship with you. I pray, God, just now that someone may make that decision. God, we thank you that you empower us to do what you want us to do. It's not by our might, but by your power. And we thank you in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.